Welcome to Living the Questions, a podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Cheyenne. Thank you for joining us. Here on Living the Questions, we wrestle. We wrestle with life's dilemmas, we wrestle with current events, and we wrestle with what it means to live lives of integrity. We hope that you find some community, some comfort, and some hope in this time together. To learn more about our congregation, you can visit our website at uucheyenne.org. Welcome all to this week's podcast, and what a week it is. Our question for this week is, how are you going to stay committed to healing yourself and your community? And the unspoken tag on to the end of that question is regardless of who wins the presidential election. Most of this podcast is getting recorded on Wednesday, November 4th, which means that I don't know who's going to win the presidential election. I don't know. So in light of that uncertainty and the reality that I think that uncertainty invites us to, at least for the moment, ponder the question of regardless of who wins, what is the core of our calling as people of faith? What is at the core of how we are called to be in our communities? And what is at the core of the call to heal ourselves and the world that we're in? And and we can answer that question whether we know the results of the election or not. And that's not to say that the results of the election don't matter. I, I feel very clear that who the president is and the party that's in power does have an impact on my life and on the lives of people I love and on the lives of my neighbors. Um, but it's also not the be all end all. And regardless of who wins, there is so, so, so much work to be done. So let's dive in. So we'll get started with our current events segment, which uh, in part, I feel like this week could be just a current events segment. Um, So I'm recording this on Wednesday. Yesterday was the election or it was voting day, Um, but the election, right, the part where we go from the casting of ballots to something resembling an answer is taking its sweet time. States like uh, Michigan and Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, uh, especially right now, um, Pennsylvania are still counting votes because those states were not allowed to start counting mail-in ballots until um, election day itself. So there's just a lot of uncertainty right now. And so when I think about this question, how are we going to stay committed to healing ourselves and our communities? I think about um, how those commitments can help us grapple with the kind of uncertainty that we are facing. 
And uh, I will be the first to admit that I hate this kind of uncertainty. I like to know what's happening. I like to know what's going to happen. I like to have things be predictable and simple and straightforward. Clear-cut answers, I'm all about that when it comes to like really critical things like this. And I also know that the answers to really critical things often take time and are not simple or straightforward. And so as we cultivate our capacity and cultivate our collective capacity to live with some uncertainty, I think that if we have some clarity around our commitments to ourselves and our communities, that it's easier to live with that uncertainty, right? If I am clear about what my role is in my community, then I want to know who's going to be president because it impacts the ways that that work is going to look. But it doesn't change my role. It doesn't change my my work or the scope of my work. And I think about the ways that um, our congregation and lots of congregations and lots of folks in our communities um, have been advocating and showing up and doing work around immigration and immigration justice and things like the sanctuary movement and you know working to support immigrant communities and immigrant people and right there's this there's this sort of there would be an easy narrative to suggest like oh if we just elect Biden instead of Trump, then all of the xenophobia will go away. Like the deportations are going to stop. No families will ever be separated again. And that's just, right, that's just not true. Electing Joe Biden will not stop deportations that I think are immoral. Electing Joe Biden will not stop um, our immigration system from separating families. It might make it happen less often, maybe less brutally, but it won't stop it. And so for me then, my question is, how am I going to stay committed to my clear position that that welcoming the immigrant is a theological imperative. It's something we're called to do by our faith. It's right the in one of our sources of Unitarian Universalism, it talks about how we respond to God's love by loving our neighbor, neighbor as ourself. Um, that's sort of our inherited Christian teaching. And that for me, that teaching applies to immigrants and that immigrants are welcome here. And that that commitment has to stay in place and has to be equally fierce regardless of who is in the White House. That commitment has to be equally fierce regardless of who is in the White House. And it will be so easy, I think, to to want to just breathe this sigh of relief if Trump is out of office that, that won't be 
it won't be real relief. That maybe it will be relief for those of us for whom questions around immigration don't impact our lives immediately and directly. But for people who have been struggling for some kind of legal status since long before Trump was president, you know, the fight is still the same. And so I guess this question is for me an invitation for us to see how is the fight still the same and to name it and to say, regardless of who is in the White House, my commitments on this issue or that issue or whatever it is remain the same and I will fight for them just as hard. Because the, the reality is that we're stepping into a long haul moment. Right? The, the anger and that outrage and this outpouring of frustration that has come from so many white or privileged progressives and liberals during the Trump, pre- during the Trump presidency, that, that can't just disappear when Trump is no longer president because the circumstances that led up to those issues during his presidency predated his presidency. And they will be here long after he is president. Right? Police violence did not suddenly exist because Donald Trump became president. Right? Deportations, separating families, all of that is not new. And so if you feel like the Trump presidency has sparked a commitment to those things in you, this is your chance to say to yourself and to your beloveds, it doesn't matter who gets elected, I will fight just as hard. So to ground us in our own Unitarian Universalist theology as we embark on this question about recommitting to healing ourselves and our communities in the wake of this election, I want to talk about the first principle. So the first principle is the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And... um, I sometimes think of the first principle as the most misunderstood of all of our principles. Or maybe not the most misunderstood, but the most likely to be misused in conflict. So maybe I'll start with the ways that I see the first principle, I think, being misused in conflict. So a pattern that I have seen in Unitarian Universalist congregations, and I've been a member and a religious professional and a, you know, adjacent person to a lot of them over my lifetime. Um, And the pattern goes a little bit like this. There's two people or two groups of people or one person and a group of people who have some kind of conflict. They disagree about something and it could be something as you know, something as weighty as putting up a Black Lives Matter banner or something as, like, seemingly innocuous as, like, what painting should hang in the hallway. Right, so whatever the conflict is about, there's a disagreement between these people or among these people, 
and somebody says, what about my inherent worth and dignity? Like, what about the first principle? And my experience is that that is often somebody who finds themselves on the, you know, and it's right, it's a false dichotomy that there's winners and losers in a conflict, but they feel like they're losing the fight. And that at some point in feeling like they're losing the fight, they will say, but what about my inherent worth and dignity, huh? Or it will often also come up in conversations where somebody is getting called out for their behavior in a congregation. You know, maybe they are like making inappropriate jokes at coffee hour or they are, um, right, whatever it is that they're doing that's out of line with our values. They'll say like, but what about my inherent worth and dignity? Doesn't that mean that you have to respect my right to blah, 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 blah. And, right, the first principle does not say that we believe in the inherent worthiness of every behavior or every idea or every way of being, right? It's very clear and specific that we are about the inherent worth and dignity of every person. And that the, the truth, right, the capital T truth that each and every person is worthy and has dignity just because they are, not because they need to earn it or anything like that, right? That that truth does not mean that you can do whatever you want. And it doesn't mean that we have to say that every behavior or every idea is okay in our communities or our congregations. And so we, I think we, we so often get the first principle wrong. And what's making me kind of think about that first principle and the ways it gets used, abused, misused, is that there's a lot of kind of energy going around on social media about like, you know, whoever wins, we just need to be nice to each other. And there was even, oh my goodness, a very questionably thought out Gap clothing ad where it was like a zip up hoodie sweatshirt and half of the sweatshirt was red and half of the sweatshirt was blue. And it was like a little animated gif where the sweatshirt got zipped up. And it said like, we don't know what happens, but we know that we are better together or something like that, where it was just like, if we all just come together and there's this, it's just like way too simple, this idea that just like, well, whatever happens, we just need to be nice to each other. Or like the two sides of the hoodie just need to get zipped up together and then we'll have it all solved. Which that's hooey. That's hooey. Being, being nice to each other is not going to resolve the deep-seated ideological and theological and social conflicts that are at the core of so much of what's happening in our country right now. And this is not to say that I think we should be jerks to each other. I'm all for kindness. But too often... Right. Niceness is actually conflict aversion, right? It's actually saying like, we should be nice to each other, which really means we shouldn't confront each other about difficult things. 
But the things that matter most are really difficult. They're uncomfortable. They're not nice. Um, and they don't always make us feel good. But that it's not, it's not a personal attack to be forced to confront really important and essential conversations in community. And that our commitment to the inherent worth and dignity of every person is not a commitment to the inherent worthiness of every idea. It's a commitment to a world where all people are worthy. And that that work is, is still ahead of us. And that that work does not happen by pretending that there are not problems, that there are not inequalities baked into the very founding of our country, right? We don't, we don't move forward, or at least I think we won't be able to move forward if we're just trying to be nice to one another and not confront what's really going on. So wrestling with this question, this question about what is my commitment, your commitment, our commitment to healing ourselves and our communities right now has just really led me to be like totally sitting in the tension between the reality that politics impacts our lives and I want to be engaged in it and my firm commitment that my calling and my hope and my joy and my purpose transcend any elected official political system, right? Like, and so I really feel just very much in the middle of that, those two polarities of politics impacts my life and therefore I need to be engaged in it. And my calling my purpose, my truth, transcend any political structure. And I, and I say polarities rather than like, they're not, those aren't like opposites necessarily. They don't butt up against one another. But for me, they do create this tension. And I will just say that one thing that's different for me now than it was in 2016 is that we have a child now. My wife, Catherine, and I have a daughter and she is 21 months old, I think. Yeah, 21 months. And um, right, it's hard to stay 
totally bogged down in politics when there is a toddler who is like totally consuming and demanding. And that is just like this uh, has been this amazing thing for me, right? This morning as we were trying to catch up on election news and all that kind of stuff. And um, Ada had found her box of dress up clothes and was just like having the time of her life putting on all of these different like ridiculous dress up skirts, including some on her head and just having a total blast and just this unbelievable bundle of joy, literally, in our house. And uh, I'm, I'm really just sitting in that tension. And I think that for... Um, that tension takes different shape for different people, depending on your life and your livelihood and your identities and just what's happening in your life right now. Um, and so in this question about how, we're, how are we recommitting, regardless of election outcome, um, For me, that question is just so wrapped up in the future, right? It's so wrapped up in the world that I want there to be for our child and for every child. Um, it's so wrapped up in that question of what world there will be for our children. And I know that for me, it comes from this, this personal place of raising a, a child in our household, but it also comes from this place of thinking about the kids in our congregation, thinking about our children and about our youth um, in, the, in the church, thinking about the children and the youth that I don't even know here in Cheyenne. Um, just thinking about what what are we leaving for them? And and not just what are we leaving for them, right? Because that sounds like we're just trying to dump something on the side of the road and hope that they'll like pick it up when they become adults somehow. <laughs> but but maybe what are we building? For them, and what are we building with them? Right? What world are we building? And and for me, the world that I want to be building is one where human dignity is at the center, where compassion is at the center, where justice is at the center. And that just feels so far away right now. That feels so far away. And I think that that, that feeling of it being far away is true regardless of who 
you know, gets the right number of electoral college votes over the next 36 hours. It just feels so far away, this world that we want to be building. And that means that it requires a greater level of commitment than ever before. And when I think about how we can respond to that greater level of commitment that is required in order to keep healing ourselves and our communities, I think about um, something that I feel like has been talked about so, 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 so much in Wyoming, um, especially here in Laramie County, as we have a mask order now. Um, And that is... There's just been a lot of conversation about our freedoms or our freedom and how this or that or the other thing, whether it's a mask or a tax or a regulation, whatever it is, that all this stuff is impinging on our freedoms or our freedom. And, you know, I, I think that freedom is important. It matters. Our freedom to love and to live in the ways that we are called to, right? Those are all really important. And part of living in community is deciding that there are some things that we're going to give up our freedom around, right? That there are things that we will give up the freedom to do in order to make living together in community work. You know, we give up our freedom to not wear a seatbelt. We give up our freedom to drive on the opposite side of the road, right? We give up our freedom all the time to make things work in community. And for me, that's just one small way that we reflect the reality of our deep, deep, deep interdependence. Because another thing that raising a child has made me just reflect on so constantly is how how any of us who are here, who are adults, who are alive right now, that all of us are here because somebody else or somebody's else were willing to take care of us, were willing to feed us to house us, to tend to us, to make sure that we went to school or, you know, had support or whatever it was, right? Like we are all here because other people pitched in. And so the idea that um, any of us can say, well, I don't need other people, I'm my own person, like I'm totally independent, I, you know, stop telling me what to do. We are all really radically interdependent. We are all wrapped up together. And so there is no way to tap out. There's no way to tap out of this fight this fight 
for a freer, more just, more loving world. Because we are connected. We are wrapped up together. Our healing is wrapped up together. And we can act in ways or do things that make it seem like our healing is not wrapped up together, right? That my healing is not wrapped up in the healing of the community. We can behave in ways that deny that, but that doesn't not make it so. The truth is that our destinies, our wholeness, our healing, our future is collective. It's shared. It's part of this greater whole. And so, beloveds, our commitment to healing has to be strong. It has to be as strong as if our lives depended on it, because it does. And even if there are ways or moments in which our privilege feels like it's shielding us from our life depending on our collective healing, that's a temporary reality. Because the permanent, the eternal, the core of who and how we are together is that we are together. And that what is happening to any of us is happening to all of us. So regardless of who wins the last four swing states, or who wins the inevitable cascade of court cases that are coming our way, we are not an island. None of us is. We are linked, interdependent, dependent on one another. May we ever find ways to live that truth this week and every week. I love you. Take care and relish our connection and our interdependence. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening. Your presence matters to us. Whether you are here in Cheyenne or across the globe, we are grateful that you would spend this time with us. If you'd like to connect more with our community, you can visit our website at uucheyenne.org. I'm the Reverend Hannah Roberts Vilnave, and on behalf of a grateful community, thank you. We'll see you soon.